Amen. And as you're seated, children, you can be released for Children's Church. And for everybody else here, if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. We are continuing in our, our series. We're in week four of a, a five-week series that we've entitled, Are We There Yet? Right? It, it's the statement we've heard children ask on every long road trip, like how much further? Like when are we going to get there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? But it's also a question that can arise in the church. Like where are we going? Are we there yet? How will we know when we get there? What is all of this about as we gather? And so we've been using this time before the fall uh, season that's starting in, in September to really look at and understand what it means here at Crosspoint and what the, the vision is of compelled by the gospel to become disciples who make disciples. This is what our heart is, that we are motivated. We gather. We're here on this lifelong journey as disciples together, because we are compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, how God has worked throughout history for his glory. That's why we gather. This is what fuels us. This is what I long to be our motivation and our joy together as a church family. And it's in that journey of becoming and making disciples. This is what we talked about at week two, when we use the shape of a hexagon to help remember what that definition of a disciple is, that upward arrow, the top of the, the hexagon, that we are called a disciple is someone who worships Jesus. The bottom part of that hexagon pointing down is through ongoing surrender with obedience to God, in all of this is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we mean by the term disciple. We need to understand and have a common destination, if you will, if we're going to travel on this journey together, hit it towards the same place. Now then, we looked at that, and inside that hexagon, last week we talked about drawing that triangle, that discipleship is about inward transformation. Before it becomes an outward obedience, it is the work God is doing in our life through His Spirit. We looked at John 15, 5, when John 15 says that Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That the heart of, of where that internal transformation begins and finds its root is by abiding in Christ. It is in him and to him and through him that all of this is possible. That as we abide in him, we will experience growth. As we step away from pretending, as we step away from performing, we will grow into the fullness of who he is calling us to be. And we will take on the aroma of Christ to a lost and dying world as we abide in him. This is what then it means to be fruitful. This is what we happens internally, if you will, the bags that you pack for this journey. Now today, if you look at that triangle, it makes these three outward-facing arrows. This is what we use to, to remember what it means to make disciples. If you will, think of, think of it as a roadmap, 
right? Like our family, every Thanksgiving, we travel up north to West Virginia to see our family over Thanksgiving, right? So my wife and I and our kids pile in a car. My daughter and her husband, along with some more of our kids, pile into their car, and we make our way up north. But have you ever traveled together with someone, right? (coughs) Like you talk about which path you're going to take. We can go 95, we can go 81, right? There's going to be detours along the way. We're going to say this is the path we're taking on this journey because the point is not just that we arrive at the destination. The point is that we want to arrive there together, but we also want to take the journey together. And so what happens is on the road, you you call one another and it's like, okay, I have to go to the bathroom now, right? Like next exit, hit the exit. And so both cars pull off. Then you're back together. You speed up and you slow down so that you stay together and you communicate along the way because you're taking the journey together so that you arrive together. This is what I want us to have in mind as we look at what does it mean for a church family to make disciples then together to be on the journey, this lifelong journey of discipleship together, that we would travel this road then together. So what does it mean not just to abide, but to abide together? What does it mean to grow together? How will that work itself out? What does it look like then to be fruitful together? This is what we're going to be talking about today. And not just the what, but also the how of how we live that out here. What are some of the rhythms? What's the roadmap that we're following on this journey? And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning to be in your word, to talk through how you are leading us together as a church family. And I pray that you would unite our hearts as we surrender to you. Lord, that you would lead, that you would guide, that you would be glorified through our our gathering, through the togetherness that you are calling us to. And in Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember back when, when I initially just talked about the definition of a disciple, we read from Matthew 28. And there was a part in there that I said I was going to get to this later. And so I just want to read this to begin with. When Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus saying all authority has been given to him. And now there is the commission, the command, the commission to go and the command to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That this is the command of God for us to make disciples. I do not believe the vision of the church is something that we just get to sit and make up for ourselves. The church is God's body to be living in faithfulness to his commands not our whims. And then look at what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you, I want you to hear and to think about this you, not just as in me, 
but us. This is written to a church, a group of people, a church in Colossae. Therefore, as you, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you see the process? It's the same thing that we talked about last week. Rooted in Him, abiding in Him, built up, growing in Him as we abide, being fruitful as we are established in the faith. This is what Scripture is calling us to together as a church family. But then how do we live that out? How do we live this out together? And this is what I I want us to see in this very first part, that if it's abiding is what happens internally, how then do we abide together in the gospel of Jesus Christ? We make disciples through the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel. The gospel being the fullness of God's story throughout history. Right? It is by proclaiming the gospel, by speaking it, by demonstrating it. But, but here's one of my concerns that happens. I think sometimes when we say this, that like, there's part of me, even as I was writing that, right? Abiding together in the gospel. Beautiful combination of words. What does it mean? Right? Like, there's just a certain point to like step back and say, okay, but explain that. Give it some depth. Put some muscle and flesh on, on the 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 skeleton of this phrase. Because so often what I see happening is we throw Christian platitudes at the world's problems. And the gospel gets minimized to just preach the gospel. But all that means is, well, just trust in Jesus and everything's going to be okay. It's like giving the, the, the climax of a story without giving any of its context. It makes no sense at times. Like if I were to tell you, it's amazing that this man and I, we we both looked at his arm astonished, and then he's like, I have to go tell my mom. Isn't that amazing? Like, aren't you in awe? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? There's a part where that story makes no sense. But if I were to tell you that when my wife and I were living in Jerusalem, in the old city, I would go down to the Wailing Wall, out on the Temple Mount, like on the outskirts, the outer wall of the Temple Mount, and I would sit there, and it was nighttime, and I was just closing my eyes because I like listening to the sound of people just walking by as I prayed. And this Orthodox Jew came, and he sat next to me, and we began to talk, and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. As we sat beneath this canopy of stars and talking about how God created the heavens and the earth to display His glory. As we mourn together the the brokenness that we see in the world, the hostility between Jew and Palestinian. As we talked about Jesus being the true Messiah, the true Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, that our hope is only found in Him, and that one day when He returns, there will be a true and lasting peace. 
the man looked at me and he says, can Jesus heal my arm? And, and the man who has been sitting next to me, I had noticed his arm was shriveled up to his side and his hand was curled in. He said that he had been paralyzed in his arm from a stroke and he couldn't move it. Now at this point, I'm thinking, of course Jesus can. I don't know that he is. So it's like, he asked me to pray for him. Now at this point, I'm like, okay, I'll pray, but you know, I have no control over anything. Like this is up to God, what he's going to do. And so I, I prayed with about that amount of faith. And when I said in Jesus' name, amen, I opened my eyes to see this man stretching out his arm and hand, astonished. I think I was more amazed. I was speechless. I realized in that moment that I think I prayed with like so small amount of faith. Like I'm like, I can't even believe God answered that because I like. I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't know what to say. I was completely stunned. He was stunned. He's looking at it. He stands up, kind of looks at his arm, starts to walk away. And I don't know if he said it to me or to himself. He was like, I have to go tell my mom. And I never saw him again. This is a true story that sometimes I look back on and I'm like, that, that really happened, right? Does that make more sense? it hits us a little bit different. When we talk about proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel, I mean it like that. Think about this week, the last two weeks. The, the, the last report I saw, nearly 2,000 dead in Haiti from an earthquake. What, what Anthony mentioned this morning, the, the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan and the impact that this is happening in the world. What do we as a church proclaim into that? Well, trust in Jesus and everything's going to be okay? Is this the fullness of our message that we're called to proclaim? What I want us to feel the weight of is what does it mean to look at the whole story of God throughout history? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and to speak with a prophetic voice into a hurting world. What I mean by that? How then do we speak into the brokenness of earthquakes and war? Because I say I feel the pain. I feel the groans. Because when God created the heavens and the earth, he called it good. The earth was safe. The earth was safe for humanity. People lived at peace with one another and with God. This is how God intended it to be. And we feel the broken world. We feel it when the earth groans because what was whole is now broken. When the earth shakes, we cry out. When buildings fall on top of people, we weep. When we see people at war with one another, we too cry out. When people are at war with one another, when people are separated from God, because all of this is the effect of sin, mankind's rebellion against God as the author and creator of this life. And we weep. 
But here's what I want us to hear. In the midst of that brokenness, God is moved by our brokenness. He's moved emotionally. Jesus wept. Physically, He acted. The eternal God taking on human flesh and entering into the brokenness of our story. Suffering in His own body. Bringing about healing. Bringing about renewal. Bringing about restoration through the suffering of His own body. In life and even to the point of being crucified on a cross as a criminal. To purchase our renewal, our freedom, our redemption. To renew both people and creation itself to the glory He originally created it to display. Christ alone is our hope. And one day, one day the earth will no longer cry out. One day the earth will no longer shake and cause death. One day the seas will no longer rise and swallow up people's lives. One day viruses will no longer spread across the globe. One day there will be no more death, no more war, no more fighting. And we long for that day. We, we agonizingly long for the day when Christ returns. And until that day comes, we will weep with a God who weeps. And like Jesus, we will enter into the brokenness of others to bear in our own bodies sufferings in order to display and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you hear the difference? I pray you hear the difference of what it means to abide in the gospel, that we don't just say, just, just preach the gospel. Just say, Jesus is going to make it all better. Trust Him. There's a fullness here I want us to understand and be able to speak into. That when it comes to issues of injustice, of racism, of sexuality, of brokenness, of, of families, of bullying, pick the topic. We need to be able to think and speak the fullness of the gospel from creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We need to be able to practice it. We need to be able to encourage one another. But if we are called then to make disciples, we need to be certain of what we are being called to proclaim together. This is what it means to abide together in the gospel, proclaiming and demonstrating his story throughout all history. And this will lead to growing together in the gospel. That growth happens not just on our own, but together in relationship with others. I urge you this week, if you're taking notes, just to mark off the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, to read through that together. That you're going to hear how God gives different gifts to people in the church. He, he equips people differently, and all of that is meant to serve the church together. And this helps the community grow and mature in faith together with one another. And listen to what it says in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. We are to grow up in every way, into Him who is the head, into Christ. See, we are growing into 
to and for the glory of Jesus Christ in worship of Him together. But it also says it's from Him, from whom then the whole body were joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped with each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, we are a group of individuals that are connected, not by some socioeconomic level, but we are connected together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is like the cartilage between bones, that that it's the cushion, it's what connects and unites us together. It is to Him, but it is also from Him that we abide together. And this leads to both challenging challenges and encouragement. Like for you to grow as a disciple, so often it can be thought of to like, I'm just going to grow on my own. We think we're an only child. You're not an only child. You have been adopted into a family with brothers and sisters. And, and he does that because when you grow together in a family, what happens? They get on your nerves, right? There's joy and laughter that comes out of it. And there's fighting and annoyance that comes out of it. It's kind of a both and. It's the same in church. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens because what is God doing? He is allowing us to be sanctified. Because you, know ha- you know what revealed selfishness in my heart? Having children. Because now I have to share my wife with them. And the time and attention I want, they're now getting And God uses that to sanctify and renew me. As he grew our family, I had to grow in patience, in kindness, in understanding, in dying to myself. This is what happens in church. We have to die to ourselves. We're like, it's not just all about me, is it? It's also about you. It's about us. How is that going to happen if I'm just sitting in a room by myself? But there's also joys that come with it, right? There's the laughter and the jokes and the personality and the ways that you are going to experience God's faithfulness in your life is going to be an encouragement to me, to another person sitting next to you. The unique skills and insights you have is going to be a blessing in what it means to be built up together as a family. How do we expect to grow unless we're willing to walk in community with one another? It's not sufficient to just come or listen and leave and not actually be in community with one another. It is shortchanging what God has for us. And I came across a a verse this week, I was reminded of it, that I think speaks to a present reality within the American church. Because it's some are still needing to join online. Some have stopped participating altogether. Others are here. How do we think about community in light of these realities? Right? Because we can have all sorts of different opinions, but we need to be walking in faithfulness to what God says. I believe that 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 speaks directly to this. And it says this, We urge you, brothers, we urge you, admonish the idol. 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. And be patient with them all. Here's what this means. Here's how I would apply this text to the present situation. There is a warning and a challenge to those who have become idle. That's what it means to admonish. To not disengage from the body of Christ, from the community of faith. Laziness and indifference, comfort and convenience are present in real dangers to the church right now. Here's what I mean by that. This is mostly probably speaking to those who are not in any way engaged. But I've talked to um, someone recently who they were like, yeah, you know, when, when church first went online, we were still participating, but then it, it got harder and there was a little bit of a disconnect. So then I stopped joining online and now I'm just not doing anything. That can happen. There is an admonishment, an, in, an encouraged conviction that I think is right and good for the church to speak into that. We need community. It is not good to be isolated or to consider ourselves an only child. We are called into a family. But there's also the encouragement for the faint-hearted. I think of this of those who are at risk, who have pre-existing conditions, or who are in close contact with those who are those who may still be joining online. I want you to hear from us encouragement. You are loved and missed. And even though we are not together in person, we are still family. We are still called to walk together. And we will patiently walk with you in this season. My, my caution would be, Guard your heart that what is a present and real um, situation causing you to still gather online does not become idleness. Like that's going to be between you and God and, and understanding when that is and discerning your own heart. There's also those to help the weak among you. I think of the two families that just gave birth those who are in the hospital. I think of another older lady who's undergoing treatment for, for cancer. Those who are preparing for surgeries. There are those who cannot be present. Or another family whose daughter was exposed to COVID and they're having to be careful. There are those who need help. And I'm thankful for the ways that we're taking meals to these families. The way that numerous women are gathering together to help this other lady who's undergoing cancer treatment to get back and forth to the hospital. This is what it looks like to be community. To help the weak. And my call and encouragement and obedience to the scripture is to be patient with them all. The danger is that those who are healthy and able to gather together in person, you begin to think yourselves better than those who aren't here. But rather, we need to think of ourselves as servants to others who are in need, not better. We are called to patience, and we are called to love and encouragement and help. This is what it looks like 
to grow together in the display of the gospel through our community. And then the third part, it's gospel, community, and then mission. Fruitfulness together on mission. Think about what I talked about last week, the aroma of Christ, that as we abide in Him, we take on His aroma, right? This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, for we, we together are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing within the world. We are the fragrance of Christ to the saved and to those who are perishing to one it is the smell of death. It is the fragrance of life. Together, we are called to be the fragrance of Christ, both in what we proclaim through the gospel and what we demonstrate through mission. This is, is the image I have in my mind. Imagine a single rose sitting on your countertop in the kitchen. Right? Well, if you're like me, I want to say everybody does this, but I don't know if you do it or not. Like, do you just like lean in and smell the, the sweet fragrance of this single row sitting on the counter? That's what our lives are like individually, right? Like in those that we are walking closely with, they smell the fragrance of Christ as we are abiding in him. What happens when you walk into a florist shop? It's everywhere isn't it? Like, you don't have to, like, just lean in. You're just, like, overwhelmed by the scent and fragrance of all these flowers together in combination. That's who we are. We're like the floor shop within the world that, that they may smell the sweet fragrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is my longing. This is what we are called to. I believe that this is an area that God wants us to grow in in this coming year. I believe that prior to the pandemic, we were beginning to grow in this area. At the beginning of 2020, we were having conversations that in addition to, like we've sent missionaries to North Africa. We've been serving in the schools and in clothes closets and in collecting food for students in need and mentoring programs. We were looking for other opportunities within the community and visiting them. But then COVID hit, and all of that just came to a screeching halt. And I believe the danger is, facing the church today, is that we turn inward to protect and preserve when we are called outward to proclaim and demonstrate. This is, is my heart, and I believe we need to get back to that. I believe in these coming weeks, months, year, I want to see this outward posture more and more. I've been praying for this. And even on, on Thursday, I met a, a young man. He's not young man, but him and his wife have this incredible ministry that resonated with my heart. And I am so excited for what this could mean for us in the way that we can engage our community. I'm not ready to go into all details because I don't have details yet. I just want to say two things with this. One, I want us to feel that this command to go and make disciples, to live missionally, is commanded by God. This is not an option we have as a church. This is a command. And number two, that I am convicted that we need to walk in obedience to God's command more faithfully. That I don't want us to just say, how do we 
Just focus on us. I believe that as we abide, we're going to grow and we are going to display and walk missionally together to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us to be thinking creatively about that, not just individually, but together. What does this look like? Pray for continued opportunities, for insights to what this looks like moving forward. Because I'm not saying this is how it's being done, just that I desire that it is done. So let's surrender to God and walk in obedience to what he brings to us. So that's all the what, the how. One of the things that's important to us is we don't want to just have programs that represent all of this. The elders are constantly talking and praying, like, how do we have a culture that embodies what it means to be compelled by the gospel, to become disciples who make disciples? What does it look like this, that, that would saturate our lives, not just being a program to attend, a box to check? And that's hard. And so I kind of want to lay out what is the path, the roadmap of how we live this out together. One is through the biblical practice of gathering together. You're going to see up on the screen this graphic. One of the reasons I love the hexagonal shape is not just because of how it stands individually, but how it connects together. If you simply want to do a fun search, look up hexagons in nature, you're going to see them all throughout in various ways, from rock formations to when bubbles are together to the eye of a fly. Like it is all throughout nature because it's not just about the individual shape, it's about it in relationship to one another, of what we are called to be as disciples. The church has been gathering on Sundays together since Jesus rose from the dead. Can, can we just think about that for a moment? Like in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when they were gathered together, they broke bread, and Paul taught them before he was heading out of town. From the beginning of the church, what we are doing this morning has been happening among Christians who are following Jesus. They gather together. They sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. There's someone who stands up and teaches from God's Word. They're celebrating the Lord's table together. All around the world today, Christians are participating in something similar to this. The gathered church is not just about an institution or some man-made thing for power and control. It is about surrender to the one true King, Jesus Christ. And to His honor and to His glory, we gather together as family to sing and celebrate who He is and what He has done. To gather together is to walk in obedience. And what that looks like here, there are some things that make that unique for, for me, when, when we think about worship, what you don't know, but what gets talked about behind the scenes is how the gospel message, the fullness of it, shapes our worship from creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We don't start with songs that are a response, that have I in it. We start with songs that are proclaiming of who God is before it gets into our own brokenness and need of Him. 
than songs that, that, that are rooted in, in the gospel, that our hope is found in Christ. And we want to end with songs that, that are celebratory of our victory that is found in Christ. It's a rough framework. It's not like we're trying to like push a song into each of those, but it generally shapes philosophy and thinking. Same thing with when we gather on Sunday morning for the Word. We've been going through this topic through the, through the summer and through this month, but generally I prefer to be in books of the Bible. Starting in September, we're going to be picking back up in the Gospel of Mark. I'm working on some things for, for next year where we'll be in books of the Bible because it's God's Word that has the power to, to, to change us. Not my wisdom, but His Word. And so we go through, through books of the Bible together. that we're sent out as a church. We end with go and be the church because I believe that the Sunday morning gathering is for the believer. It is for the encouragement and equipping of the believer then to be sent out into the world on mission to be the fragrance of Christ. Now, I know other churches, and, and I highly respect that they're pastors and leaders, but they will see Sunday morning as a gathering mainly for the unbeliever. And that then what they do in small groups is for the believer. This is different in the roadmap. Who we are, Sunday morning, I believe, is for the believer. I'm going to preach as if the majority are Christians with an awareness that there are those who are here who may not be Christians. This is our philosophy, our roadmap here. Our children's ministry, that we believe that, that parents are the primary disciplers of their children. We're going to have them for maybe an hour on a Sunday. And so we want that to be an opportunity to come alongside parents to help them in the discipleship to the point that starting in September, we're going to be starting a new curriculum that's called Growing in God's Word. One of the resource parents are going to be getting is it's this, I really like this. It looks at children at different ages and what they can understand of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, of the Bible. And it helps you then understand, what can my child understand at this age? I had a hard time with this because I want to speak to adults or teenagers. And when my kids were toddlers, Kirsten's like, you're speaking to toddlers. Like, remember that. <laughs> they don't understand what you're saying. And so it looks at different age ranges. And then what's going to be happening in the children's ministry is what they're learning then are going to go with one of these truths, and then you'll receive resources that reinforces this throughout the week because discipleship primarily happens in the home. These things begin to shape how we travel the road of discipleship together. But then we also gather in community groups. You heard Anthony mention this. So I think of Jesus when he spoke to crowds, right? He would speak to these large crowds and teach, and they would all be around, and, and Jesus was mainly teaching in those. And then he would pull away with his 12, right? The 12 disciples, and they would be like, what did you mean when you said this? <laughs> 
right? They're beginning to ask questions. There's interactions that's happening along the way. There's conversations that are happening as they're in a boat or traveling on a road or walking together. As they were doing life together, there was that continual aspect as Jesus was pouring into his disciples. This is what we desire out of our community groups. They are generally gatherings of 10 to 15 people that meet during the week throughout the community. They're typically based on whatever passage we're in as we're going through books of the Bible because it's not just about learning new information. It's about walking in transformation together. And so community groups are meant for family, for discipleship, for mission. That it's not just about a single meeting during the week. My, my hope and my prayer is that over time, community groups will become like a family where you celebrate together. It's not just that we had a meeting during the week, but we're doing life together. We're celebrating together. We're having fun together outside of that time even. That we are walking together as family, as we are growing as disciples, and we are living then together on mission. One of the things I'm wanting us to include in community groups in this coming season is not just what does this mean for me, but what does this mean for us? Simply adding that question of it's not just about me and Jesus, it's about us together. In light of this passage, what is he saying of us? We have men's and women's gathering that meet, but there's also something else I'm wanting to introduce today that I want to invite us into to try. See, in addition to Jesus having the 12 disciples, he also had this inner circle of disciples. These three disciples that he often invited into a more intimate setting. It was Peter, James, and John. They witnessed Jesus' uh, transfiguration. They, they were invited into the home when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus. They were the ones who were invited to go in a bit further into the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus prayed. That the disciples were with him, but then he said to James, Peter, James, and John, come with me as I pray. It was this inner circle, these three witnesses who witnessed the greatest moments of Jesus' glory being displayed along with some of his deepest, darkest trials. They were present. I think there's an opportunity for that here. Something smaller than community groups in a more intimate setting to know one another more deeply, to cultivate more intimately what it means to grow as disciples. I want us to try something that right now I'm calling a DNA group. I'm going to be honest, I don't like this name but I'm out of creative juices. So this is the name for now, but if it changes, please just have grace. The overall aspect of this, the goal, is for groups of three or four, men with men, women with women, to meet together weekly, to care for ongoing care and discipleship. It's to cultivate discipleship relationships that can help each person grow to become more like Jesus, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in DNA, it's an acronym, which is one of the reasons why I don't like it. It stands for discover, 
nurture, and act. So to begin, there is a 16-week discipleship journey that I've been working on throughout the summer um, that you can see a sample of on the connect table. It looks like this. Um, There's 16 weeks that you would go through together as a group on very topics that would introduce much of what it means to be a DNA group. It'll walk you through the process in some very deep foundational truths as well of what it means to discover that led by the Holy Spirit, the group, you'll study God's Word and you'll learn to ask four basic questions, four four questions that then you can take together through any book of the Bible. But this is going to help you to implement these questions in the midst of Bible study to discover what God says from His Word within this small setting. To then nurture that, that led by the Holy Spirit, that you'll respond with humility, with surrender to God's Word. Because discovery kind of shapes our head. It shepherds our minds. The, the nurturing shepherds our hearts. Where is my life not lining up to Scripture? How can I confess this within this small, trusted group? And then how is God calling me to respond, to act? that the group will seek to walk in ongoing obedience in everyday life. I don't know exactly what this looks like. We don't have all of it figured out. I don't think this is necessarily for everyone. I see this that being for those who are are currently present and and you're in a community group, I would encourage you to consider, is this something that you're interested in? Maybe you know who two or three other people may be. Maybe you don't, but it's something that was like, yes, I would really desire something like this in my life. We want to help you get connected. For others, it may just be community groups in this season. For, for me, in the way that this looks in time, because that's always a concern, our community group meets Tuesday nights. What I'm hoping to do personally is to meet with two or three other guys in the morning because I like breakfast and coffee. So I'm wanting to meet a different day of the week or the same day of the week, but in the morning with them to do both. Some that may not be possible. There's no judgment. But I do believe that this is something that I'm wanting to, there's additional resources that I'm wanting to work on this fall. That if we're called to do this together, I want us to be resourced to walk this road together. I want us to be in relationship together as we walk this road. And I want to make sure that you're equipped and resourced to do that. And so, as a next step, as a conclusion to all of this, I want to encourage you, if you have your Connect Guide or bulletin, or I don't even know what they're called anymore. Um, If you have this on the bottom right, I want to encourage you to take out your phone right now. So grab this. It's also on the screen. I don't know if that QR code would work from the screen, but I want to encourage you to take that out. This is going to take you to a page to let us know if you are in a community group or if you would like to be if you are interested in a, in a DNA group. And then it's going to ask you another question. Do you know who you would want to be in the group with? If so, who are they? Because I want to work this week to help begin to make these connections. You can find a sample of the Growing in Christ together 
um, on the back table. We're not handing them out yet. Uh, Next week, we'll begin handing them out as people sign up. But if you want to kind of just look through this to see what this is, you can look at it there. I know hate technology. So I'm going to ask that you go to the back connect table that we do want to help people connect either to a community group, to a DNA group, or both. And we're going to be working hard this week to begin making those connections. To also, for those who are online, um, if you're on YouTube, it's in the description under the video. If you're on the Church Center app, there's a link to the right, or also in the digital service guide, there's a link on that as well to complete this. We want to help you get connected as we continue making disciples together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you that we can gather in peace this morning, proclaiming your name publicly, celebrating together. Lord, I pray that you would continue to unite our hearts as in surrender and in worship of of you. Lord, that you would be glorified in everything we say and do together as a church. Lord, I pray that from you, you would continue to see how differing and varying gifts work together to serve and build and grow your body as we are connected by your word. Lord, I pray that you would lead and guide us. And in Jesus' name, amen.